are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. The word of the Lord is written in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. I have heard these baseless cries of, you're going to kill someone, far too often. I take this as a personal insult. A couple of weeks ago, we were all gripped watching the news of the submersible Titan that was on a voyage to go down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean to the wreckage of the Titanic when it lost contact with its surface ship. Uh, there was tension because we understood there was only four days of air and uh, Coast Guard and other searchers went out to look for the ship, which unfortunately, as it turned out, we discovered had suffered a catastrophic collapse, losing all lives aboard. The news became a little more complicated when it came out that the submersible was an untested experimental design. In fact, the experts and employees who were aware of this had warned the company's CEO repeatedly that it was unsafe and dangerous and should not be going down to the depths that they planned to take it. And when the engineer on staff sent that information to the CEO, he fired back that angry, defensive email response. And then he fired the guy, the one who had the insight and the knowledge and the ability to save them from disaster. Now, it's easy, I know, to shake our heads at uh, billionaires who seem to have more money than sense. But the reality is all of us, all of us have something in us that resents being told that we're wrong, that doesn't like hearing we don't know what is really going on and we don't understand things. And then we can end up rejecting the people who are trying to tell us the truth and trying to help us and become more committed to just going the way that we want to go. Uh, There's a federal agency that is charged with improving safety and quality of our health care. They ran an awareness campaign a few years ago with a billboard that said, this year thousands of men will die from stubbornness. And someone underneath spray painted, no we won't. (laughs) We all have this tendency to, to take truth tellers and categorize them as troublemakers when what they're saying is not what we want to hear. And it's one thing to get mad at Google Maps for, you know, questioning my sense of direction or to angrily silence the smoke alarm when it goes off at two in the morning, both of which I've done. But what if we really are in danger? 
What if it's a lot more serious than just the ordinary day-to-day troubles? What if we're not, you know, sort of drifting our way into difficulty, but actually heading for disaster? And what if our tendency to not listen to inputs that question us lead us to reject the person who actually knows what's going on and could help us? That's essentially what the Apostle Peter has been saying about Jesus. That we need a shift of perspective that changes not just the direction of our lives, but actually our our whole destiny. I think what Peter is saying in this passage in Acts is that getting Jesus revolutionizes your life. Getting Jesus, understanding who he is and, and laying hold of him revolutionizes, changes your life radically. We're continuing this series that we started a few weeks ago in the book of Acts, looking at who we are and where we've come from and how we as faith church fit into the story of what God has started in Jesus and what he's continuing to do. And the the quick summary of where we've been so far is that Luke is writing this book to continue the story of everything that Jesus began to say and to do, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, going to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, rising from the dead just as he promised. Now he spent 40 days with his disciples instructing them and telling them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit who will empower them to be Jesus' witnesses. And on this day of this great feast in Jerusalem, as Jewish worshipers from all over the Roman world have gathered together, the Holy Spirit comes in power on Jesus' followers and they start speaking in languages of all this international crowd around them. And they start wondering what's going on. And the Apostle Peter stands up and explains what is happening is the fulfillment and the promise of everything that Jesus is and everything that he's come to do. And that's where we pick up the story where we left it last week in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. We're page 16 of your Acts sermon journals, or I think it's page 1082 if you're using the black Bible in the seat underneath in front of you. Getting Jesus revolutionizes your life. That's what Peter wants his hearers and wants us to understand. And we're going to see that in three parts or three movements, a a recognition, a response, and the result. The recognition, the response, and the result. So let's dive in and look at that. To recognize who Jesus is. Peter has summarized his message here in verse 36 where we started. Let the house of Israel know for certain, therefore, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when you really see Jesus, Peter says, you're going to acknowledge a couple of things about him. First, that he is Lord, which means he is the king of the universe. He is the one who is actually in charge and ruling all things and the one whom I ought to gladly submit. Now, this weekend, we have kind of our own national festival where we celebrate our independence And it's perfectly fine that that we're happy, for example, politically, not to be under the authority of some guy in a weird outfit halfway across another ocean, right? Like, that's fine. But the reason that we don't make a real big deal of it in worship is because if you think about it, the idea of declaring our independence is a little bit at odds with the whole message of the Bible and the message of Jesus. 
See, to say that Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge that there is a king, there is an authority, and I am not an independent being. I mean, I didn't bring myself into this world. I can't survive more than like three or four days without water that I have no ability to create on my own. Microscopic germs can kill me. And some of them tried to recently in Lebanon, and my gut is still kind of recovering from it a little bit. I'm like 95% there. I'm, I'm fine. Here in the Midwest, last week, we were warned to stay inside because the atmosphere was dangerous and unhealthy due to wildfires that happened in another country hundreds of miles away. I am not the Lord over my own life. I am not in control of my experience or my existence, and I'm not even really in control of myself. Many of you noticed how the thoughts and emotions and desires and choices are often frustratingly beyond our control? Like the things that I know I ought to do and would be good for me to do, why do I struggle to do those things? Whereas the things that I know are not probably good for me and I shouldn't be doing are the things that just seem to come easily to me. There's something wrong, not just with the world, but with me. Because there is a God, there is a king, there is a Lord, there is a judge who made all things and made us for himself and he's written his laws on our hearts. And Peter has just showed us that Jesus is that God. He is the ruler. He's the Lord. He has power over evil, over sin, over death, over eternity. And he's ascended to the right hand of God in heaven where he rules. Jesus is Lord. And then secondly, to, to get that Jesus is the Christ, it literally means he's the anointed one. Well, that's helpful. What does that mean? Well, it means on the one hand, he's the one person who has been chosen by God to fulfill all of God's plans and purposes. It literally means someone who was, had oil poured over them or smeared on them. You guys know how, if you, if you think back to your Old Testament, there are people and places who were anointed, right? Like the temple, the altar was anointed because it was the place where God was going to meet with his people. And the prophets were sometimes anointed as the expression of God's word and will. The kings were anointed as the expression of God's power. The priests were anointed as the representative of God's presence. And all of that, all of that comes together and is focused in Jesus. To say that Jesus is the Christ means he is the center of God's presence and God's work in the world. The Christ is the one who has been chosen to bring about God's plans, God's good purposes for all of us, to reconcile everything to himself and bring about justice and goodness and beauty in this world. That's what it means that Jesus is the Christ. It's acknowledging, I am not the master of my fate. I am not the captain of my soul. Jesus is the ruler over the universe, and he is the unique and only way to come to God and into the joy and the blessing that God intends for us. But it's not just recognizing who Jesus is. It's owning what we have done in response. 
Peter says, you killed him. You crucified him. You nailed him to a tree. You rejected him. You murdered the God-man. The one person who came with the understanding of the truth that you need to hear and the ability to help you and save you. If you're a Christian, you, you know these words. You crucified him. You've, you've felt them in your heart. Just like we sometimes sing in worship, Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. Peter knew it was true of him. Peter was so afraid of saving his own skin that he denied even knowing Jesus. And three times he said, I don't know the man. And in fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen, the third time the rooster crows and Jesus turns and looks at Peter and Luke says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why? One pastor suggests, think about what Jesus would have looked like at this point. His face is beaten and bruised and purple and covered not just with blood, but with the spit of the soldiers who have been mocking him. And Peter looks at Jesus and he sees, I did that. Jesus is dying. Jesus is suffering that because of my sin, because of my rejection, because of my failure. I'm responsible. My sins are what sent Jesus to the cross. Getting Jesus is not just an intellectual awareness of who he is. I said, I've not just said I've misjudged him, I need to think differently about him. Look in verse 37. When they heard this, when they came to the realization of who Jesus is and what they had done and what they were responsible for, they were cut to the heart. They, they were stabbed. They were torn up. They were plowed in their spirits in recognition of who Jesus is and what their sins had done to him. What kind of a response does that prompt? There's a French legend about Guinefort, a greyhound who was the trusted companion of a knight who lived in a castle near Lyon. One day the knight goes out hunting and he leaves Guinefort home to protect his infant child. When he comes back, the nursery is in chaos. He can't find his child anywhere and there's Guinefort standing with blood covering his mouth and his paws. And enraged and grieved, the knight takes out his sword and cuts down the dog. But no sooner has he done that, that he hears a cry. And, and he rushes over and overturns the cradle. And there is his child, safe and sound, along with a gigantic snake who had been torn apart by dog bites. The knight had murdered the savior of his family. Because he didn't realize what he had done. Now, do your emotions start to respond to that at all? About a dog being mistreated and misjudged because a man didn't realize how noble and how good he was. To, to get Jesus to respond to him is to say, I didn't understand. 
I, I didn't see you for who you are. I didn't know what you've done. I've, I've treated you as an enemy. How in the world can I go on living my life my way? What do I do? That's what it means to be cut to the heart. That's the first step towards becoming a Christian, to, to see Jesus, to get him, is to respond like them. What shall we do? Now, before we rush to Peter's answer, think about what the answer could be. We've not just offended, we're not just wronged, we have killed. Our sins have slain the one truly wise, good, innocent person. And that person also turns out to be God Almighty and the only hope of humanity. What do you do with that? Weep and cry, lament, wail, cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes, beg for mercy, pray for the heavens to crash down on you. No, no, no. Look at what Peter says. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You come to Jesus. You acknowledge him as Lord and Christ. And you accept the forgiveness that he offers to broken, sinful people. And Peter mentions two things that demonstrate that kind of response that shows there's been a revolution in you because you get Jesus. He says, repent which means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. You see things differently. You, you take in the information in a way that means I'm going to head away from the direction I was going and in a different direction. Your heart is pierced by the one that you've pierced. And that says, I've, I've been heading towards destruction under my own control, and, and I, I need to go to Jesus. Because you see that, do you get the difference? When, when you understand that you've broken God's law, the, the response is, oh man, I better do the right thing or God's going to get me. But, but when you actually see what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, it brings a totally different answer. Look at who Jesus is. Look at what he's done for me. See how he loves me. I, I didn't know. And it melts your heart. And it, and it changes you in, in both grief and gratitude. Has that happened for you in some way? I'm not talking about some huge outpouring of emotion necessarily. But has your heart ever been moved in that way to where you have come to the point of changing your mind you, because you've been stung with the awareness of the pain and the ugliness of your sin and the beauty and the goodness of Jesus in a way that also brings comfort and soothing because of his forgiveness. Biblical repentance means we change our mind about Jesus, about who he is and what his life means, and it redefines you, it revolutionizes you. Because Peter goes on to say, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now just a quick point here, Peter is not saying that the act of baptism is what brings forgiveness. And there are all kinds of good reasons, both from this passage and the rest of the New Testament, and we don't have time to get into all of them. So tune in to Cut for Time this week if you want to hear uh, why Peter is clearly not saying, well, 
be baptized, and then you'll be forgiven. Baptism is the response to knowing that I have been forgiven. Repentance is what brings the forgiveness, and baptism demonstrates that. We're redeemed, we're resurrected, we're freed to now follow Jesus into a new life that he is inviting us into. That's what baptism is. It's publicly proclaiming, I'm a sinner who's been saved by faith in Jesus. I've been made alive by him. I've gone from death to life, and it's giving me a new identity. That's what baptism is picturing. I don't belong to me. I belong to Jesus. I'm being baptized into his death and into his resurrection life. I belong to him. That's why getting Jesus revolutionizes your life. What comes as a result of that? That's what we want to close with. That's what Peter talks about. First of all, in verse 38, again, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. First of all, you are forgiven. Your soul, your conscience is set free and at peace. Maybe for the first time in your life, fully and freely. Because the very thing that convicts you, the thing that pierces your heart is also the thing that pours in the grace and the comfort and the assurance. Because we, we look at Jesus on the cross and what does it tell us? It says, my sin is terrible. But that's not all it says. You can't stop there. It also says, my Savior loves me terribly. It says, my sin took Jesus to the cross and he's there because of me. But it also says, my Savior went there willingly and he's there for me. He's there because he loves me. He will suffer everything to save you. He will let nothing come between his work to rescue you and change you and save you and make you his child. That's what the cross is saying. He let your judgment come down on his head so that you could be forgiven and made new. And, and when you see that, that Jesus was willing to lose everything so that he would not lose you, there is peace and assurance and confidence that comes from that in knowing that you are forgiven because of Jesus. And there's a, a redirection that comes in our lives, too, as a result. Look at what Peter says in verse 40. With many other words, he, he testified or he bore witness, continuing to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves or be saved from this crooked generation. Now, it's interesting. The Greek word there is scolios, which means literally bent or twisted. It's where we get our word scoliosis. The, the idea here is of, of something being having gone the wrong way and needing to be set right. And, and Jesus, as you look back through the Gospels, as he gets closer and closer to drawing near to Jerusalem, he keeps warning them more clearly, more urgently, that they are heading towards destruction. And if they don't repent, if they don't follow him, they're going to bring ruin down on their heads. And he says it will happen because you do not know the way of peace and you did not recognize the time of God's visitation. But most of the people hearing people, Peter were visitors to Jerusalem. 
They hadn't been directly involved in crucifying Jesus. But all of us, Peter is saying, in every generation are bent away from the from God and his purposes. It's the same appeal. It's the same call to every generation, to this generation. Be saved from the, from the twistedness in you and in the world around you. Go in a different direction. When, when they ask, what should we do? They're not asking, you know, I mean, life's working pretty well. I could use, you know, I have maybe some tips on how to be a better husband or a better father, how to, you know, plan financially for the future. I mean, how to get along with people, how to win friends and influence people. That, that'd be great. That's not what they're asking, right? They're, they're not saying, Jesus, I'd like you to come in and, you know, kind of help fix up my life while I'm still in control of things. They're saying, we'll do anything. Jesus, what do we do? Where do we go? We, we need you. We need what only you can give us. That's what it means to recognize Jesus as Lord. We're, we're taking all the limitations off of our obedience and all of our availability for Jesus. Because our life is no longer directed by ourselves or by the pattern of this world but by the good and the wise direction of the Lord and the Savior who loves you and knows better for you and is the one who is able to warn you about destruction ahead in the way that you're going. I mean, honestly, sometimes we can obey because it looks like it might be useful, right? It might advance my plans for my life. I'll be honest if it helps me get ahead or close a business deal. I'll follow Jesus if it means God will answer my prayers. I'll, I'll be sexually pure if there's some benefit down the road. I'll, I'll forgive people if, you know, that's useful to me. But when it looks like the cost is going to outweigh the potential benefit, don't we tend to hesitate or pull back? I'm not really sure I want to trust you in that part, Jesus. I'm not really sure I want to follow your direction in that way. That's the crookedness of our hearts, of every generation of humans that Peter is calling us to step out from and go a different direction. Because either Jesus is Lord and Christ or you are Lord and Christ over your life. There's no middle ground. There's, there's no halfway. There's no 50-50 sharing. And if your heart has been cut, if your heart has been pierced by who Jesus is, and what we have done to him, we take all the conditions off. It revolutionizes our life. It changes the direction to no longer go in the pattern of my heart or this world. And then finally, there's a new ability to actually do that, which is amazing, right? Look at what Peter says again. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The power that you see in us, Peter says, is available to you, to everyone who will call on the name of the Lord and be saved. To be baptized, again, is to die to an old life because you're being baptized into the life of Jesus, whose spirit now comes to live in you, to help you want and to will and to do what we could not do before. We finally get free, free from ourselves, which is the biggest independence we need, isn't it? 
right? Oh man, sometimes we just, we struggle so much to, to feel like oh, I can't get over this habit. I can't get rid of this problem. I, I have trouble loving people who are hard to love. I have trouble forgiving people for what they did for me. I have trouble not responding in anger when somebody does something I don't like. And, and part of the problem, I think, is sometimes we're still maybe operating under this idea that, well, I really need to obey Jesus, either so that good things will happen or so that bad things won't happen to me. I've got to obey him or, or else, you know, I'm going to catch it. Instead of saying, Jesus, I, I look at you and I want to obey you because you are good, because you are wise and you are wiser than me and you know better than I know. And you will actually help me do what I, I don't feel the ability to do in myself. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, I better obey or else he'll reject me. I, I, instead, I'm saying I'm obeying because I know you will never reject me. Because there's nothing I can do to make you love me any more or love me any less. And that frees me now to look at you, Jesus, as the one who is worthy of trusting and following God's own spirit comes to live in us so that now we have a new desire and a new ability to follow Jesus. The spirit points us not to the law to say obey or else. He points us to Jesus to say, look at his love. Look at his beauty. Look at the good that he wants for you. You, you trust him to save you. Can you trust him to actually guide your life? That's what it means that he's Lord and Savior in an ongoing way. The Spirit comes into us to help us see more and more of the beauty and the wisdom and the goodness of Jesus. And obeying him becomes our delight, not just a duty. That's what it means to get Jesus in a way that revolutionizes your life. And oh, this is so profound. We will spend a lifetime and an eternity plumbing its depths, but it is not complicated. It does not take a degree. It does not take advanced training. You do not have to go to seminary. God's word cuts you to the heart and you respond in faith. From that moment, you are forgiven. You are alive. You are new. You are a child of God. Look at what Peter says in verse 39. The promise, this promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God calls. That's you. That's everyone hearing this message and hearing this voice. And those who received his word in verse 41 were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Do you get it? You see, there's no long, complicated process. There's no training course that you have to go to. You can be a Christian today. You can know today that you are forgiven, that you are alive, that you are beloved by God. It's not because of what you can do or what you need to achieve. It's what Jesus has done and simply receiving him by faith. That's the reason why they were saved and added to God's family that day. It's a decisive change that revolutionizes your life. And it's as easy as praying something like this. You simply can pray, Lord, I see now that I have disobeyed your law and rejected the King and the Savior, and my sin cost you the Savior's life. 
but I know he did it willingly for me, so I'm trusting not in my obedience, but in your obedience and what you have done, Jesus. I've heard of you, but now my eyes have seen your glory and your goodness. And Jesus, I give you my sin and I take your forgiveness and I rest in what you've done. I belong to you. And if you pray that, you can know that you're forgiven because that's repentance. And the Holy Spirit who is already working on you, drawing you and prompting you will come to live in you. God is calling you to himself. If you hear his voice, don't ignore him. Don't put it off. Don't stay there. Come to Jesus. Get Jesus and let him start a revolution in your life. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this promise and this hope and this guarantee and this forgiveness. And that out of your fullness, you keep pouring out grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you that the worst of me and the best of me don't define me. You do. You do, Jesus. Being in you means you are my life, my righteousness, my wisdom, my holiness. You have fulfilled all the requirements of the law for me, and now you're living in me to fulfill the beauty of the law through me. Thank you, Jesus, that... Because of you, and my life is in you, the Father cannot love me more, and he will never love me less. Thank you that you send your Spirit to live in us, to guarantee that we belong to you, and nothing can separate us from your love. Oh, Father, I pray that even now your spirit will be working in the hearts of people hearing this message and drawing them to Jesus to get Jesus. May we all get him, Father, more and more and more. We pray in his name. Amen.